This episode of At the Counter was recorded live from the window of the Frugal Dutchman in lovely Ridgeway, Ontario. It was recorded during Christmas on the Ridge, the Ridgeway Winter Festival, and there will be noises of bells or people coming in and out. Please do not let that affect your enjoyment and enjoy the show. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to At the Counter Podcast, the podcast that takes the crazy discussions held at the counter of your local comic book store and brings it to the internet and today live to the streets of Ridgeway, Ontario, here at Christmas on the Ridge. Beautiful downtown, historic downtown Ridgeway. Uh, we want to give a shout out today to Gordon Kenty at Royal Oak Real Estate. Uh, if you have a house that you're looking to buy or sell, uh, give them a call, 905-871-4455. If you didn't catch that, you can come and find his card on our counter in the store. Uh, that's Gordon Kenty at Royal Oak Real Estate. Uh, if, if you're looking for something immediately, he's in the store. Come and find him. <laughs> All right, so I'm Marcus Antea. I'm a big nerd and a customer here at the Frugal Dutchman. And I'm Christian Kenty. I'm the ridiculous mind behind the Frugal Dutchman. <laughs> and together we've had these conversations for years, and we're going to share it with you. Now, tonight's uh, top, or this uh, podcast topic, anyways, is Christmas must watch movies. Oh, look, it's Christmas time. I get to watch blank. Uh, we have a whole list of movies here. If you have one that you absolutely must watch over the course of the Christmas season, please come in and let Cameron at the counter know, and he'll pass on to us anything that we may have missed. So we're going to start off with the one right off the bat that everybody loves, and that is Die Hard. No, I'm kidding. We no, did that, that was last the last time. one. That was the last we're going to talk about Home Alone. <laughs> Uh, Home Alone, very much a Christmas movie, happens at Christmas, over Christmas, that's the whole point of the movie, is they um, can't count, and they leave their youngest child at home, which is not a great parenting, we'll have to put it that it's way. It's not advised. Um, my kids would not do so well. <laughs> no, and uh, they also uh, would not probably cause as much grievous bodily harm uh, <laughs> Well, Charlotte maybe. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte might do it. I think between the two of them, they could they could take it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the leave the kid at home trope, the never before done thing in in movies where the kid manages to uh, hold his own against two you know everyday crooks going through the rich They're neighborhood. They're not everyday in crooks. They are the wet bandits. They are the wet bandits. <laughs> they have, well, one of them is a wet bandit. The other is reluctant. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, Kevin McAllister gets left home alone, hence the name of the movie. And through the rich neighborhood that they live in, the wet bandits are breaking into houses, stealing stuff, and leaving the taps overflowing so that they are now the wet bandits. That's their signature move, which does, in fact, come back to haunt yep. them. However, they try and break into Kevin McAllister's house, and he does not like that concept because he is home alone, doesn't want anyone to know. So they go, and they he uh, creates all kinds of booby traps to disfigure and 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 maim, yeah, maim. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not fun little tra- like we. I saw on YouTube one time a uh, a doctor, an ER doctor, who went through and said what injuries will have been created 
by every one of Kevin's traps. Well, and, and, and they're there. Those two guys were dead several yeah. times over. Well, the one thing that, uh, or one of the things that the production crew have stated over and over again was this is a very, a very difficult thing to film is, is people taking hard falls. Right. And so for, for stuntmen, and this is a regular everyday thing in their jobs. They're like, yeah, for, that's what we do. Right. Uh, but, this was a film crew that was not a, used to this type of stunt. And so, like, and it's really interesting in this how, uh, in, in the case of Home Alone, how the sound around something makes you understand the comedy of it. Yes. Because if you don't have that Bugs Bunny sound to it, that's a really horrible thing to watch. Yeah, if you, if you watch it without the sound, these two, I mean, they're criminals. They're breaking into people's houses. They kind of get but what they get. But they're still human beings. But they're still human beings. And the abuse their bodies go through is absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and so very hard to watch. And they had said, the, um, Chris Columbus especially, the director of the film, said a bunch of times that as soon as they'd do a take, they'd run up to like the stunt guy and be like, are you okay? Yeah. Right? <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I was ready for that. That was just a lot. It looked a lot worse than I thought it was going to. Which right? means it's better for Which the movie. Which is great because that meant the stunt guys were doing their job. But, yeah, just the insane things that they were doing uh, and some of the things that they were able to capture just through you know unique cameras and things like that. And I believe this was after Uncle Buck. Was it after? I think so because he's he's older uh, in in Home oh, that's Alone. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, Macaulay Culkin coming in <clears throat> hot from Uncle Buck, which I don't care what it says, still holds up to this day. It's one of John Candy's best performances, <laughs> but not a Christmas movie. Which the little known <laughs> fact on on Home Alone, which uh, I'm sure somebody will be like, I knew that. Uh, the Pizza Boy made more money on Home Alone than John Candy. John Candy didn't actually get paid for work on, on Home Alone. Because he wasn't in Home Alone. Yes, he was. John Candy was yeah, in Home Alone? Yeah, he's a poke, poke. Oh, right, 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 <laughs> he, right. He volunteered his time as a as a favor to John Hughes. Oh, really? <laughs> and wow. And they, they milked 26 hours out of him straight. Because he only had one day. He said, "I got I, you, you get me for one day, but we'll do whatever you want. Right? And so they did that whole wow. poke, poke thing. Right, <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't get paid for it. <laughs> wow, because <laughs> he didn't ask to be paid for it. He was doing a favor, right? And so, yeah, pizza guy made more money. <laughs> That's funny, and uh, it brought back some Christmas uh, uh, classics that have become once again like the Drifters' White Christmas, the mm-hmm. That one, you know, that one came back into prominence and. Uh, I literally saw earlier today a Christmas story that says, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what movie that is. Do you remember? I don't remember the actual movie. I I'm, do want to watch I'm it. I'm not though. even 100% it's a real movie. <clears throat> it might have been made for... It might have been. Uh, that we'd have to check. So that's something for us to look We're at. we fact check that one. But anyways, Home Alone, great Christmas movie, of course, starting off our list of the must-see Christmas movies. Uh, next on the list <laughs> is... The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Which one? Well, and it's your pick of all three. Is your favorite. The, that's the thing is all three, fantastic. I, I don't have a real problem with any of them. I have to say I <clears throat> cannot comment on the Benedict Cumberbatch when I've not seen it yet. No? no. It's real good. Uh, and to the point where I didn't recognize that was Benedict Cumberbatch at first. 
I didn't oh. catch his voice in that. Be- and he's a bit of a chameleon voice-wise. Yes. Uh, you know, British by nature, but able to do uh, American English very, very mm-hmm. well. Uh, and, and he disguises himself really well with his voice. Because uh, you wouldn't guess that by Doctor Strange either that he has a British accent. I was about to say that's very <laughs> strange, and you beat me to it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, very good movie. I would venture to say of the three, as much as the '66 one is classic, and there's no bones about it, it's like a five-minute film or a ten-minute film. Yes. As a full feature, I prefer uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Here's 2018 version. Uh, more than the Jim Carrey 2000. Really? Okay, yeah. I'll have to check it out then this year. Here's the thing that came up in conversation or I overheard on something. Uh, I was under the impression forever that the song You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, was sung by Boris Karloff. I thought it was. It is not. Really? It is spoken by Boris Karloff. The okay. talky bits are Boris Karloff, an original part of it. Okay. But it's sung by the guy who did the voice for Tony the Tiger. Really? Yeah, that threw me. Well, I was that's like, "Great." <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say anything about that cuz it was a perfect setup. Hello out there. Uh, so yeah, so that actually is Tony the Tiger who's singing that song. That is um, great though. That and not all joking aside, yeah. that's really fantastic. I didn't know that. It's really interesting. Uh, when you start getting into people to do voiceovers, it's it you start to realize how many people do all the things. Well, and you get a lot of those huh moments. Yeah. <laughs> where you oh. go, really? I didn't well, know that. that my was son Jack said, "Oh, that's this guy." We watched the um, Justice League Dark Two, whatever it is. Okay. And I don't watch that, it's it's a horrifying, awful. <laughs> like it's amazing, but it is. Definitely not a kid's thing. Okay. <laughs> At any way, shape, or form. It's amazing. <clears throat> but Jack goes, I think Mongol, or uh, I think Dark Side was blank. Whatever the name he said. And I went, I don't know. And he got to the credits and he goes, ha, I knew it was this guy. Yeah. And I went, okay, I don't know who that <laughs> is. And he said, well, hang on. And he opened it up. And as soon as I saw the picture, I knew who it was because he's also he's also a a per, like a, a live actor. Okay. But then he started going through all the voices he does, and you're like, "Wow, that guy does a ton!" Hi, Hi. out there, how's it going? <laughs> so yeah, so of course the Grinch is safe Christmas. Any or all of the above are well worth of being on the list. Absolutely. And and you can take them as you will. It's I mean all three of them are good. I just again I have a preference towards the the most recent one just because I don't know it, it's more interesting what they've done with the story and not force too many things. It, the Jim Carrey one there was always a few lapses to me of it felt like they had to explain him too much, right? They gave him this backstory of yeah. you know. Um, which I found as contradictory in the first place because you get the start where they're reading off the Nor- you know, don't ask us why we don't quite know the reason, but then they give this whole elaborate yeah. reason, <laughs> right? It's like, well, that doesn't make sense, <laughs> right? Why did they well, do that I, thing? Actually, the way that works for me, I would think, hello, everybody on the cart over there. There's a horse-drawn cart going up and down uh, here, uh, Ridge, Ridge Road and Ridgeway. Ontario, it's uh, part of the festivities. When so. we say historic, we don't joke around. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, We're I, partying like it's 1909. <laughs> <laughs> I think when they read it at the beginning, 
it is the tale of the Grinch from the point of the Who's. Okay. Who don't want to acknowledge <clears throat> their part of the problem. That's fair. So that's why that still continues. And that does kind of carry through the rest of the It does, because they're like, well, th that can't be us. We don't do bad things. Yeah. That's If you're green and horrible, that's on you. That's not <laughs> us. And so that's definitely... Uh, Whose fault is it? Exactly. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm um, on fire tonight. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it just popped into my head now, because we were thinking about... Um, uh, John Candy. Okay. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but on our going back to the previous podcast, Christmas movie, Christmas time movies, is planes, trains, and automobiles Christmas time Christmas movie? Christmas yeah. time movie? Okay. <laughs> that one. I was uh, saying yeah, about okay. that too. I just all of a it sudden. It was too I far went, past when I came up with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I just went, oh, we missed that one. Okay, but anyways. Uh, For so, those of you who heard, who heard the last episode, you can add that one to that list. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on to a. Super controversial movie. I don't know if this qualifies as a Christmas movie. It might be kind of, <laughs> it's kind of half and half. We'll have to make you decide. We're talking, of course, about Elf. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Thanks, Mr. Narwhal. Uh, Elf, of course, is one of the quintessential modern Christmas movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the few that's hit and stuck. Yeah, it, and it hit at a time where. I feel like there was a bit of a, a lull in actual decent Christmas film coming out. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's always a new one every year. They put out something new, right? Mm. But it kind of came in this lull around, I have it written down, 2003? 2004. 2004? No, 2003, right sorry. 2003, where there wasn't a ton of Christmas going on. And it was also a bit of a breakout for, for mainstream directing for Jon Favreau. And it was a breakout of mainstream uh, lead acting for Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell as well. And I know there's a lot of controversy about him being in the film and trying to sell it as a kid's film because he had just come off doing old school. Old school, yeah. Um, where he, he was definitely not a child-friendly character. No. Um, and so having the possibility of those two sitting side by side on a shelf going, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> But again, it make sure that you don't pigeonhole actors yeah. into one thing or another. Exactly, and I, I think Will Ferrell took uh, took a great swing at this film and did. I, I don't. I can't imagine putting anybody else in that seat. I don't think mm, there's a few other people that could maybe do it, but very, it wouldn't have such a sincere feel for Buddy. Maybe a young Robin Williams could have done it. Maybe, but I still but think I still he think would have been would have a little been... too over the top yeah. for the character because Buddy does have a certain amount of control. Buddy right? is and Buddy mm. is aggressively enthusiastic. Yeah, not zany and crazy. He just absolutely loves <laughs> Christmas and believes in what he's doing. Yeah, um, and so any controversy about that movie is long out the window. It oh was, yeah, no, it, it, it was a up. home run. It still holds up to this day. Well, and I think the the casting in general, there's a lot of unusual about it. I mean, you've got Will Ferrell again coming off of old school. You've got James Caan. Yeah, James Caan. Never meant for Sonny Corleone. <laughs> exactly, like, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you've got Zoe Deschanel, who is fairly. I feel like was fairly new at that. She. Point well, I think her scene. sister was big, and she was just kind of getting right? into and it. She was getting into some stuff. Um, she had done some music. Mary Steenburgen like is on it, and she's kind of a. A very small role as the mother, but she does a great performance. And and it's it is her role, although very minor, mm -hmm. is very pivotal to what's going on. Absolutely, she does carry things through 
um, and kind of legitimize the father-son relationship. And then there's the two... Uh, dark horse actors that you would never have imagined. And that is of course, Ed Asner who had since played Santa several times and uh, Bob Newhart, Bob Newhart, Bob Newhart did an amazing job and he fit the role perfectly. But again, when you like, it, it shows to good casting directors when you can have a group like that come together, right? Because, Who's gonna put the? Who's gonna sit back in an office and put those people on a list together? Yeah, nobody. But when you see those, you know, the screen tests and the stuff and and all that pre work that goes into a film, and say, well, we're gonna put this thing together. It's gonna be, hopefully, it'll be a good thing. Which is, you know, nine times out of ten is what people say in those meetings is, hopefully, it's good. And what <laughs> what most people don't know is um, a vast majority of the effects with the elves and buddy is all forced perspective. That's live. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's, that's, that's not, not computer, digital. It's no, not it's, computer it's editing. All, it's all, uh, what do you call it? Practical effects. It's all practical effects. Yeah. It's forced perspective on the camera. And one of the things, if you haven't done it, you should look on Netflix for a series called the Christmas movies that made us. Yeah. And there's a whole documentary about <laughs> elf and how they weren't sure it was even going to get made. And it's an amazing watch to if you love the movie, this just makes it better. Yeah, Home Alone is also on that <clears throat> list. Yes, it is. I think, right, um, and it's just it's phenomenal to be able to kind of see behind the scenes in that, right? And again, see, there's some unassurance unassurance on the set. We're doing this, but we don't know we're doing this. Is it going to work out? Right, and just the magic James Con wondering what the heck he's doing there. <laughs> why, why am I here? Why am I like? Why am I picked for this one? And, right. And and it's it's just a really an amazing story behind the story. Not that the story's not great. Like it's yeah. definitely a must watch. But I, I think for James Con too, that was that was a situation where I don't think he was working much, and so it might have been a had to take job. <laughs> it might have been, <laughs> and it or he might have really been well, he might have been talked into yeah. it by somebody. I, been, I'd have to right? re rewatch it and remember. Yeah. But uh, really good one. Uh, can't say enough good things about Elf, and that's that's one that will be the. You know, wonderful life story that 100 years from now will still ring true, I think. Which isn't on our list, surprisingly enough. Oh, no, it is. There it is. Okay, sorry. Um, you so think I'd skip that one? Come I on. was a little concerned, actually. It's a wonderful life. All right, well, we'll skip right to that one then since you brought it up. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Now, again, is it a Christmas movie? It's a Hanukkah movie, actually. Is it? I, I believe so. He's, he's a Jewish fellow, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I'll I'll keep the we'll add Hanukkah <laughs> movies into here. Yeah, I mean it is the the iconic Christmas film. Yes. It, when it's the one that I I would dare say is most referred to in Christmas movies as a Christmas movie. And those of you who might be hearing it behind it, there is an actual bell on the door of yeah. the Frugal Dutchman, and everybody coming in here and out gets an angel their wings. So it's a wonderful <laughs> thing. Every time a bell rings. An angel gets his wing. Oh, where's that clapper? Let me take that out of there. <laughs> uh, and, of course, it is such an iconic piece that it has been lampooned and created by everybody and everything. Um, it's been done forwards and backwards. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorites was uh, uh, they did it on Married with Children. Oh, gosh. And I'll make it worse. The angel was uh, Sam Kinison. And he showed... <laughs> He showed uh, Al Bundy what 
all of his family's life would have been like without him. And they were super successful, intelligent, married well, rich. And Sam Kennison's like, oh, man, I'm never getting my wings. I'm screwed. And Al Bundy goes, no, no, no. They don't get to be happy without me. I want to go back and make them miserable with me. So it's kind of the opposite. But it was a very funny bit. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) You're not going anywhere. Exactly. Uh, So, yeah, Wonderful Life. There are some definite plot holes. Like, what happens when Uncle, what's his name, remembers that it was in the newspaper that he gave to the old man and went, wait a minute, I gave him that $500. Where, what, he's, and have the entire town go and beat the guy up or whatever. Like, there's some big plot holes in it, but it was the 40s. And you're talking about 40s cinema where you get away, you know, there aren't the um actually guys. Yeah. We're doing it now. Yeah. And in but retrospect. They don't care. No. <laughs> All right. So jumping back on the list, we're going to go to another spectacular animated feature. And visually appealing uh, as an animated feature. A very different style of animation than, than it, you know, I would find uh, this one to be a harder style of animation to sell to it's, a kid. Yeah, it works almost um, photorealistic. It works really well for for this platform of film. And, of course, we're talking about Polar Express, um, another Tom Hanks wonderful film. And he plays more than one character. He plays all the characters. Uh, yeah, but a lot of them anyways. <laughs> a lot of them. Um, but it's, to me, it fits really well with the story they're trying to tell, um, which sometimes is a hit and miss on certain animation films where the studio that gets the animation, they they get what they're trying to tell. They do their best to tell that story, but their style of animation is just not, not right. quite right for what you're doing. <laughs> and I can't even cite like really specific examples, but when you see them, you're like, I feel like we're missing just just by that much, right? Um, because they're still good films, but they just miss by a little bit, and that's what stops them from being your classic go-tos. This one does not have that problem. It does not, and, and Tom Hanks does an amazing job, does some song and dance. Uh, the story is good. Now, the story is, of course, based on a book. Of course. <clears throat> but it's a children's book that is about 20 pages long, and they managed to stretch it out to two hours and not be... A horrifying thing to have to sit through. It doesn't feel like a two-hour film. I'll, no. I'll tell you that. It moves quick. Yeah. It's fun. It's exciting for the kids. Uh, it's got a nice message. And if you get one of the bells, you can tell your kids you don't hear it ringing, so they feel special. Yeah. Like, the, you can actually, Hallmark actually had the bells for sale. Oh, did they really? Um, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. So, uh, yeah, Polar Express, just a wonderful flick. Can't can't not watch it if it comes on TV. Uh, and then we'll move to one that I'm not super familiar with, which is Klaus. Klaus. I, I actually had it on in the store today. Uh, I can't. I mean, it came out in 2019, so it's super new. Uh, I mean, it's only got two years on it. But to me, it it is another one of those uh, animation mixes with story really well. Uh, you know, it's, it's this kind of offbeat version of how Santa Claus came to be, right? And so Santa Claus was this uh, gentleman named Klaus who was this reclusive person, uh, and there's a sad backstory about how he wanted to have a lot of children, and then his wife died before they had any, and so he had been making all these toys for them, and then, you know, 
unfortunate things happen. Uh, but it kind of backs onto the story of a mailman, right? And they open it up as this is a story about a letter, right? And how often do you write letters and all this sort of thing. And and it's, I don't know, the whole thing kind of comes together for me in a way that's very, it's got a very awe feel to it, but not in a bad way. So it um, is animated. It is an animated film, yeah. Uh, it is available on Netflix. Uh, go ahead and watch it because it's absolutely worth your time. Uh, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't drag. Animated films tend to drag a little bit. Uh, this one keeps you invested. Um, I'll have to check it out because it's not one I can comment on. Anybody, any familiar voices? Uh, there was one who was Jesper, and I can't remember the guy's name. So we're going to play the music here for a minute. And do, 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 So anyways, uh, new, new movies coming out. Uh, some of them hit and miss. Some of them are not something you're, you're going to watch once. You're not going to watch it every time. Um, oh, uh, the voice of Klaus is actually J.K. Simmons. Oh, okay. Um, uh, totally... J.K. Simmons, if you don't know, is uh, J. Jonah Jameson since he took the role over in the first place. And nobody's played it since. Nobody's nobody played should. it since. Yep, no, absolutely not. Um, He's perfect. And then Jesper is <laughs> Jason Schwartzman. Okay. So, you know, kind of known. Kind of known. You know, little known. <laughs> All right, so that's your uh, Netflix recommendation of a new one. It's Klaus. Definitely put it on your Christmas watch list this year. It's it's worth your time. All right, so then we move on to Arthur Christmas. Arthur Christmas. I I love it as <clears throat> as an idea of the Santa Claus paradigm, right? Is it it doesn't uh, well, I, no, I guess it does focus on it more than I'm I'm thinking it does. But uh you know, the idea of how does Santa Claus, well, Santa Claus must be thousands of years old to be, you know, still doing this. And, and it kind of gives the reality of the generational handoff, even though Santa's will, in this idea, live to be hundreds of years old. Um, it still kind of lends some reality to, well, no, they move on. They retire. <laughs> what was the one with um, Anna Kendrick? Anna Kendrick. She was Santa Claus's daughter. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Noel? Maybe it's called Noel, yeah. That's a fun one. It's not it's not necessarily a must see, but I, I wouldn't don't think turn I've it off. It. Oh, it's actually really quite it? cute. <clears throat> I don't know. It always from the look of it, and I know book cover sort of thing, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're not supposed to do that, but I don't know. It struck me as a Hallmark movie of the week. Oh, it's absolutely not a Hallmark no? movie. No, okay, no, 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 no. Go back to it it's her and uh, this, um, Beatty's sister. Shirley MacLaine is in it. And um, the crappy captain from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Bill Hader, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Noel. Yeah, that's the one. That's Noel, it's, yeah. it's worth a look. It's very fun. It's cute. Um, but there's a there's a number of them that deal with Santa Claus being a generational thing or at least a family thing. Uh, that leads into something like Fred Claus. Of course, <clears throat> Fred Claus isn't generational, but they're brothers, and okay. he takes over Christmas one year because he kind of screwed up and put Santa in a bad way. And <laughs> it's it's a not a great story, but it's a fun movie. It is a fun movie. 
And I, I find that about a lot of Christmas movies is you don't want to be super serious with a Christmas movie. You want to have those awe moments. And Klaus will do that to you. It'll have, it, you know, coming into the ending, there's a lot of, ooh, this is really... Any other generational ones? Hey, can they go? Not that I can think of. Santa, the Santa Claus looked like it was going to lean that way as they were coming into the second one, but then they didn't. There's a whole discussion about that. Um, but we'll get there when we get there. Okay, so we've done a wonderful life. How about Miracle on 34th Street? Now, which one do you prefer? Uh, quite frankly, no... I prefer neither one of them. It's not one of my favorites. No? no. Oh, I love it. I didn't appreciate it until I was a parent for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even sure why. It was just we didn't watch it that much when I was growing up. But uh, I was saying to Cameron earlier, because we had it on in the store, uh, I like the... First, the 1947, uh, the little girl in that one, much better performance. Than Mara... Uh, Mara Matilda. Matil- yeah, Matilda. I can't remember her name. Uh, Mara something or other. Uh, Edmund Gwen, also a good Santa Claus. Uh, Richard Attenborough, still a good Santa Claus. So both yes. Santa Clauses did really good performances. <clears throat> Um, I can't be mad at either of them. They're, didn't, uh, they both kind of resound. Didn't the 94 <laughs> uh, Santa Claus create dinosaurs? Yes, of course. <laughs> that was later. Well, you know, he took the toy thing a little took too far. Took the toy thing a little far. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, Richard Adver was also uh, the uh, John Hammond in uh, Jurassic Park. The same year, I believe he Is created it. I don't, oh. I don't know. I think... Jurassic Park was 94, wasn't it? It might have been. It might have been close anyway. Look at this. We're doing all our fact-checking today. We're actually going to do fact-checking. We did research <laughs> and we're doing fact-checking. Almost for those of like you who actually listen to the this. podcast, this is something this new This is for new. Us. Um, Jurassic Park. Uh, but we're yeah, not, Miracle, we're not Miracle on the, uh, 34th Street <laughs> is basically a courtroom drama. Uh, Jurassic Park came first, actually. Oh, did it? Oh, okay. So he retired from making dinosaurs and, and decided to, to become toys. Santa okay. Claus. <laughs> So yeah, Miracle on 34th Street is somehow a feel-good courtroom drama. Not it quite really sure how is. that Santa happens. Santa Claus on trial, but <clears throat> it's it's a very interesting concept, right? It is. it is the idea that Santa Claus is just baffled at why Christmas isn't as popular as it used to be, or what's happening to Christmas. People are becoming so <laughs> jaded, uh, and this was, I mean, the original being 1947. There's a reason people are jaded. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, coming back around that at 94, I think, was really good timing for that. I, I think those two those two time periods kind of, as much as there isn't World War II happening, they have very similar, you know, right. socioeconomical struggles at both those times. Which brings uh, up another one that just popped into mind on the list, but... It's a fun one to watch is uh, The Man Who Saved Christmas. Oh, I don't know that one. The Man Who Saved Christmas is um, George Costanza. So is he really? Jason, no, <laughs> Jason uh, uh, Alexander. Yeah. And he plays, I'm blanking on the name, but the guy who invented the Meccano set. Okay. I, I have heard of this. <clears throat> and when, this during the war, his, his um, factory was changed over to be munitions. Okay. And metal for toys was not a thing because they all went to austerity measures. And they were going to cancel Christmas because it was war and it wasn't really a good idea and yeah. the whole nine yards. And so we, what, we, what they decided was uh, the government decided they were going to cancel Christmas. And he goes and addresses Congress and says, look, 
if we cancel Christmas, there's no point fighting for what's over there yeah. because we're not honoring what they're doing and and he gets to make some toys and, and, and it saves Christmas essentially. And it's an amazing story because it's maybe not 100% accurate, but it is based on a true story. Yeah. And Jason Alexander puts in a magnificent performance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find him to be a very underrated actor outside of Seinfeld. Like, he gets every due he's deserved as George Costanza, but he has a repertoire that goes far and above that um, and really doesn't get that much credit for it. Yeah, he's, uh. he, he can play sleazy, like yeah. in uh, uh, Pretty Pretty Woman, and he can play amazing, like The Man Who Saved Christmas, yeah. and everything in between. Yeah. But anyway, it's not on the right. list, so we're going to keep moving. Um, Family Man. Family Man. This is one that I came across after the fact. Uh, I mean, came out in 2000, so it's not, you know, super old movie. It's only got 21 years on it, which, you know, movies are like fine wine. They <laughs> they Family can Man age quite only well. 2000. Yeah, yeah. I did the I did the research. <laughs> I made sure. <laughs> wow, I thought it was so, uh, I thought uh, it was earlier. Nicholas Cage playing a Christmas you know story, which is. You know, hard to swallow when you're starting out. You're like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to buy into this. But, uh, you know, Don Cheadle kind of giving him the angel of Christmas thing of if things were different, would you really, you know, I'm going to give you a chance to see the other side, right? Um, where he goes from being rich and powerful guy to having the other life. It's it's a bit of a backwards wonderful life type thing, I think. Um, and so he gets to see what would happen if he had stayed with his high school sweetheart and all those things and had the family. And, uh, they do a really cool thing in it, which I love, which is the daughter can tell that he's not actually her dad. Um, something changed. She's like your eyes. There's something in your eyes. It's just not right. (laughs) And so she picks up on, on this is a trick somehow. And it's not, and, and they share this kind of commonality of thank goodness. There's somebody who understands what I'm dealing with. Um, Uh, but she's like really young. (laughs) I just had a Mandela effect moment because in my head, I remember seeing Nick Cage playing Santa Claus in a movie. And I looked online and Nick Cage has never played Santa Claus in a movie. <laughs> now, it may have been a movie where he was wearing a Santa suit for this some is, reason. This is fair. Uh, and I can't I place can't it. Place but it, I have in my head this image of Nicolas Cage as Santa. And it does not exist, apparently, according to the internet. Ghost Rider, the most terrifying Santa Claus it's in awful. the world. He had, he had a flame beard thing, kind of, sort of, yeah. But yeah, Family Man is one of Nick Cage's... Uh, quiet performances it is yeah and it's he's very toned and but again he plays the part perfectly i i have such an appreciation for nick cage whether any of you like him or not <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a christmas protector right but uh you know as an actor he he has his hits and misses but his hits are hits and his, right? misses, and his misses are, are misses. misses and you, you know there's he, no middle of the road there's no middle of the road and i respect that yeah <laughs> when he bombs he bombs hard <laughs> when he succeeds he succeeds hard and say what you like national treasure series is a great fun Fabulous. and uh i enjoyed the first ghost rider the second Ghost Rider right. went off the rails a fair bit, but yeah. the first one I really did enjoy. <clears throat> the first one is watchable. Yeah, I, I can handle it. Um, it. I think the thing the first it, here's our tangent for the evening. It took us this long. <laughs> Welcome everybody to like, to the Nick Cage Talk Podcast. <laughs> all Nick all the time. We're usually like five minutes in and we're off on a tangent. It took us an hour and a half, I think, on this one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, it, the first Ghost Rider movie, it's a good movie. It has nothing to do with Nick Cage. It has nothing to do with the movie. The reason it's not as well liked is it's not the Ghost Rider movie people wanted. Yes. Right? It has nothing to do with the performance. It has nothing to do with the writing. It's just not... It didn't meet the expectation of the super nerds. And I think that's why it kind of fell apart. I think they actually did pretty good with Ghost Rider during Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, absolutely. That, that they, really they managed well to redeem arc. themselves for a bit for that. All right, so we're going to pull the rope. <laughs> pull it back off the tangent, get back to Christmas. Uh, then we're going to move to a Christmas story. Christmas a story. local favorite. A local favorite. Because a large portion of it was shot in St. Catharines. Get and out! How do you I not know? know oh my, okay, we have now hit the point where the podcast is over. <laughs> I have to leave in disgust. I have to have Christian leave first because we're in a very small box oh, in the front yes. of the store. I can't believe you didn't know that. Okay, I'm going to play <clears> the <throat> fairness card on this. I am a late lover of Christmas Story because we weren't allowed to watch it when I was growing up. Oh, it, you it was, put your eye out. Well, and, and it was a little bit more on, not on the dicey side. It's, it's kind of in that gray area for movies of... Is this okay for me to watch with my kids? Uh, some of the stuff, it just... Your parents and me are very different people because I watched with my kids as soon as they were old enough. Well, and that's it, but the question comes in, when's old enough? And my parents aren't big movie buffs. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> but um, as he stands like 10 feet behind me. They're not big movie people, right? And so for that one, we didn't have a ton of draw into it. It came out before my time, too, because it's an 83 movie, so I was late to the game in the first place. Oh. I know, young guy, 89. You're the old man in the house. That's fine. Oh, hurts uh, my soul. <laughs> no, um, portions of it were shot at Sher- Sherwin Gardens or Sheridan okay. Mall. Sheridan Mall or Sherwin Gardens. Can't remember. The Sher- Inside Santa stuff okay. was shot at one of the malls in really? Mississauga. Some of the interiors were shot in St. Catharines. And the exterior of the house is out in Detroit or something. Yeah, that Um, I knew. However, the Lock 3 Museum, and here's my tangent now. If you have never gone to the Lock 3 Museum in Welland, uh, between St. Catharines and Welland, at Lock 3 of the Welland Canal, there is a museum, which gives you the whole history of the canal, how it was built. The Canadian Lacrosse Museum is in there as well. They have traveling exhibits. They pull exhibits from their stuff. But for quite a long time, they had an exhibit about a Christmas story. Okay. You could buy Life Boy Soap. You could buy the Red Rider BB gun. You could buy the leg lamp paraphernalia. Hmm. And it was something there that was tangible for you to look at. But a lot of it was shot in St. Catherine. So for those of you who did not know that... There Christmas Story is watch, should be watched just because you're Canadian and live in the Niagara region. Absolutely. If you don't live in the Niagara region and you're not Canadian, watch it anyway. It's just a great movie. Yep. And, you know, be careful because you shoot your eye out. Yep. <laughs> this right. is like my legitimate fear every time I pick up a BB gun. Even though I know 100% how to handle them, <laughs> um, always a legitimate... Because even having not seen it as a kid, I knew the line. Right, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. So it made me like super worried about BB guns because, again, not something we had when I was a kid. And <laughs> I was like, okay, is it really that touchy? <laughs> my son uh, resembles the kid, or did when he was younger with the glass and everything. He doesn't so. quite resemble him anymore. Not well, he might. I don't know what he looks like now. I can't remember. But, oh, maybe. Yeah, no. But at, at, when he was younger, he resembled the kid from Toy Story. So 
we we have some toy or sorry Christmas story, story not Toy Story some Christmas story stuff at home like we have an ornament where the kid has a stretchy rubber tongue attached to the pole <laughs> and you can move the ornament and the kid stretches the tongue <laughs> and it screams ah! oh that's great. like uh, I don't think we I don't think we ever got one of the leg lamp uh, ornaments but yeah. uh, it's fragile <laughs> so you got to be really careful. Yeah. It's Italian. <laughs> so anyways, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, decent enough message. Funny, but enjoyable. Uh, That's okay. You can make faces. Yeah, we can make faces. Okay doesn't mind. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not on camera. We're just talking, so you're all good. We're a couple idiots <laughs> in the box. That's okay. <laughs> That's what uh, he said to them. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so moving on to... I believe to... we just had a... That's what he said, Joe. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, okay, so now it's time to turn on 250,000 important <laughs> Italian twinkle lights. I was even starting to sound a bit like them. Uh, yes, we're talking about Christmas Vacation, one of the stalwart pillars of the adult Christmas movie. So I've, I've always been curious about this. Do you always just refer to it as Christmas Vacation? Yes. Okay, so, because that's always the question with, like, anything that has that precursor, because it's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's the full proper title of the film, yep. right? But is it a short form, right? I'll, I'll be with you. I like the idea of just referring to it as a Christmas Vacation. There's not really anything else that falls under that title. It, it, let's put it this way. If I said to you... National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Do you know which movie I'm talking about? Absolutely. If I said to you, let's watch Christmas Vacation, do you know what movie we're Absolutely. talking about? So <laughs> National Lamp the National Lampoon part is relatively irrelevant. It is. It, it speaks to a certain group of people that were well, involved in creating the film. Do you more know than what the National Lampoon is? Absolutely. The National Lampoon started at, I think, Harvard. And it was a satirical kind of anti-establishment newspaper <clears throat> magazine newsletter for the people in Harvard. It was an underground, it was I don't even know how to describe it, but uh, it was uh, irreverent, it was anti-culture. Yeah. And then when those people first graduated, they decided to keep it going and make it bigger and make <clears throat> it better and they succeeded. And the National Lampoon magazine was very successful back in the 70s and 80s. Well, and it was involved in a lot, a lot of, you know, it, it likens itself to Saturday Night Live in how many people it brought up into comedy. Right. Um, you know, in, in a different format, obviously, for the most part, but it had a lot of the same success stories involved. Subversive. That was the yeah. word I was looking for. Absolutely. <clears throat> right. And so. You know that's why I'm always questioning because to me that's a badge of honor for the for the National Lampoon to have their name on something so well, right? And I, I mean Chevy Chase was big involved with Lampoon, uh, no matter how much some of the <laughs> creators of it or runners of it didn't like him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's a whole other story. There's a whole movie about that. I can't remember the name. Yeah, of it, there's but, a, that's um, yeah. We won't go to that film, but. Um, uh, Another not watch with your children film. But National uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, you got me doing it now. Yep. Uh, Christmas Vacation is probably one of the most quoted Christmas movies of all time. <clears throat> I'd say it's up there, yeah. 
Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's nothing you can say about it that isn't good. Yeah. Everything about it is perfect from one end to the other. There's a lot of hot lines from that one, yeah. So. Uh, and just the thing, the turkey that splits out into the absolutely burnt, desiccated inside, <laughs> the squirrel in the tree, the lights, the whole nine yards is just a great, uh, you know, oh, I'm just emptying the esser, you know, yeah. like there's, uh, actually, funny enough, <clears throat> side tangent, sort of, um, my wife's cousin, we were going up to camp near them because they live way north <coughs> up near Sudbury. Okay. And they said, well, when you're here, we got to go visit Uncle Eddie. And my wife and I are like, you don't have an Uncle Eddie. I've never met an Uncle Eddie. She's, we don't have an Uncle Eddie. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And so they, we go up there and like, okay, we're going to go up to Uncle Eddie. And she's like, who is Uncle Eddie? You'll see. So they go up where they have, they have bought a 1974 Winnebago that the roof was leaking for 500 bucks. And they, well, parked, I mean, that's not a bad price. They parked it at the, uh, they parked it at the local trailer park, built a tin roof on it, like an actual peaked roof. Okay. Cause it was never moving. Yep. They just built a roof on it. Dealt with the water damage on the inside, and they called it Uncle Eddie yeah. after Christmas <clears throat> vacation. Okay. And so when they say we're going up to Uncle Eddie, we're going up to the trailer to go have a campfire or whatever, right? <clears throat> so, okay. so it was funny, and we figured out what it was. But there's a, like there's a lot that comes out of that movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, the bigger question is why not? Uh, okay, so moving on. I'm going to skip this for a minute, and I'm going to go add one of my additions. Um, we're going to talk about... You're going to skip over this whole last section. No, we're going to get okay. back to the last all right, section. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to bring up, as a group, the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials. Okay. Yeah, because we had talked about kind of skimming past those yeah. when we were planning we're, things. We're going we're gonna to talk <clears> about <throat> them as a group, not as an individual. So we're talking... Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, A Year Without Santa Claus, uh, Here Comes Santa Claus, uh, maybe The Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy falls uh, into that. What else am I missing? Oh, geez. Uh, somebody shouted out. <laughs> Did we miss one? Did we miss one of the Rankin Bass? Those you don't know. We most got most of, of them. Yeah, the Rankin Bass was uh, stop-motion animation, came out in the 50s, hasn't changed and, and doesn't need to. Didn't need to. Most of our it it basically featured one Christmas song that they built a whole story around. Of course. Oh, Rudolph and the Shiny New Year technically is part of that. Okay. Um, so that's where you get <clears throat> Rudolph is probably the premier one out of that. That's yeah. the one everybody yeah, will that's go the to every year. <laughs> Has the most songs. Mm -hmm. Burl Lives is in it singing Silver and Gold. Uh, one foot in front of the other. Uh, it's one of the few voices that I can do from the things. Herbie doesn't like to make toys. Well, what do you want to do? <laughs> I kind of always wanted to be a dentist. A dentist? <laughs> Herbie missed wire elf practice. <laughs> I'm sorry, that one hurts my throat too. No child wants a Charlie in the box. <laughs> Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. <laughs> 
So yes, I would say Rankin Bass is actually where you <coughs> you tech me down or you dress me down on voices. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I can't hit those ones. Yeah, those are those, I've been doing those for a long, long time. Um, Rudolph, turn that nose down. It's very hey. <laughs> I'm cute. I'm cute. She thinks I'm cute. <laughs> yeah, so Rudolph definitely has the number one things of all the yeah. quotability. Songs <clears throat> are up there in the best. And it is also lampooned quite a lot. Uh, the <coughs> opening sequence to Elf is actually a tribute to Rankin Bass. Absolutely. Um, and it's not even a... It's not even a... Uh, uh, they're not trying to hide it. They're at not all. trying to hide no. it at all. It's 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 an homage. Yeah. They they love it. They want everyone to know, uh, and it's it's great. It's even the snowman is like perfectly burl alive. Absolutely, is. <laughs> so that is uh, all the uh, Rankin Bass ones are worth watching every year. Well, I watch almost all of them every year. Um, yeah, we get through them. We've got I think we've got the <clears throat> the box sets of a few of them, and you know, again, Rudolph is the one you always come back to because. To me, that's so. As much as all the Rankin Bass have really good storylines to them and really heartfelt storylines to them, I find the Rudolph story to be one of the most relatable. For most people, <coughs> there's something in there for most people about feeling like you're a misfit or you don't belong in a certain situation. And so everybody can kind of get on board with Herbie and, and Rudolph in that situation. And, and funnily of, enough, you know, that's one of the songs in Rudolph was changed in the mid 60s. Oh yeah. It was not there's there's two songs where a couple of misfits was switched with something else. And oh. I can't remember which one it is, but it it was a whole new sequence because either it wasn't working or they didn't like it or something. They changed it like long after yeah. the fact. So okay. it's wild that way. Um, but here's the funny thing about the story of Rudolph. The story of Rudolph came about from Macy's. They wanted a giveaway to give to kids who came to see Santa Claus. And they got one of their ad men to write a children's book. Okay. And they gave it away when when parents came and bought stuff. They gave them the book. Well, it was so popular that they ran out of the first print of it almost immediately. Like, almost instantly. And... The guy had done the story and all the words and everything and all the uh, drawings. Okay. So they had a second, a third printing, and it became this cultural phenomenon. But the man who created it got nothing other than his paycheck. Which you can be mad about that all you want. That's business. I'm I'm not there yet. However, years later, he had cancer. Okay. Or his wife had cancer. And he lost everything. And Macy's, after some prodding, I think, said, you know what? We have made so much money off that story. You really deserve the credit. And we're gonna." And they paid him several millions of dollars in, in royalties, um, which they didn't technically have to do. Oh, no. But they yeah, said, no, no this is, this is not yeah. right. Like, he created a masterpiece, and we got it for, you know... 25 cents an hour. So, Well, if, if uh, Miracle on 34th Street proves anything about Macy's, it's that they are anything, they'll do anything to stay away from a bad PR problem. Yeah. <laughs> Santa's coming tomorrow. Santa! I know him! All right. Um, so, yeah. That's All gim- the Rankin that, Bass. That's Gimbals. Yes. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> Gimbals. Uh, 
so yeah, so everybody will, I'm sure, I don't care how old you are, young, old, if that comes on the TV, you're it's sitting down to yeah. watch it. There's no question. Yeah, because <clears throat> even if you're like five, six years old and you don't care for it, <laughs> your parents aren't going to let you turn that off. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> I don't want to watch you. Sit down, you son. Sit down and get some culture in you. <laughs> parents are singing along because they've been doing it since they were little children. <clears throat> Uh, and if you're a parent out there with a kid who does not like your Rankin Bass special, make them watch it with you. Absolutely. Family time goes both ways. <laughs> you hear that, everybody in the watch over there? Make your kids watch Rudolph. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go on to uh, the start of a trilogy. I'm actually going to include the whole trilogy in it. I'll, I'll accept the whole trilogy. Santa Claus, Reluctantly one, on two, a couple. and three. <laughs> the Santa Claus. A wonderful movie. Uh, there's not much you can fix about Santa Claus 1. No, it's it's one of those that because of the time it came out, it doesn't age properly uh, as a story. And, and just uh, there's, there's some things that you really get out of number two that you're like, oh, if they had done that in number one. Yeah. But they didn't have the tech or the budget for it in number one. And so you can't be mad about it. Um, they, they took the opportunity with number two to fix some stuff. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell that story, even though I want to, cause it's a little off color. Um, but if you know me, ask me and I'll tell you the Santa Claus story. Uh, however, uh, the other thing I was going to say was, uh, the Santa Claus, the first one was shot in and around Toronto and Oakville. Okay. Uh, I had friends on that movie. So, uh, and my friend got, uh, either sunburned. Or chemical burn, depending on how you do it. Because to get that much fluffy snow in August, <laughs> you have to put white felt down and then super bleached paper. Uh, and it stays super bleached even after everything. So you get chemical burns if you're not careful. Um, but this, of course, was back in 89. So we weren't Safety really quite... protocols weren't happened. quite what they are now. <laughs> so they're shoveling... A heat. One of my friends got uh, tagged to shovel up all the snow... Uh, and uh, either had to wear long sleeves and melt in the August heat or uh, not wear sleeves and get <coughs> bleach burns all over his arms. So uh, definitely ruined a few sets of clothes with that uh. stuff. Uh, but I will agree with you. I think Santa Claus 2 is a superior movie. I like it way better. I will watch Santa Claus 2 before I watch Santa Claus 1. See, and I'm I'm a have to watch things in order, so I'll always watch Santa Claus. Well, one I'm just saying, what, I don't mean before <laughs> numerically. I mean like I know. if I have the choice <laughs> of all three, yeah. I'm gonna watch two over one. Okay. Now, here's the thing that I don't know if you've noticed. I didn't notice until recently. My wife goes, "Of course, I saw that. How did you not see that?" If you watch the background during the Santa Claus, the first one, first one, okay, there are many elves. In the background, sort of nudging things along. You'll see kids with the, but you don't really see the ears, but they sneak out of the restaurant. They're here, there, and everywhere. Everywhere he is as he's learning to become Santa Claus, somewhere in the background is an elf. Huh. So now he's going to have to watch it again now and look for that. <laughs> um, Man, that list keeps getting longer. <laughs> uh, and there is, there is a headcanon that someone on TikTok <clears throat> had is that the San Santa Claus is always Scott Calvin. Scott Calvin keeps getting reborn. Okay. Because when he becomes Santa Claus, uh, Scott Calvin comes to the world. And they keep 
they basically they're Scott Calvin is trying to create the best version of himself. So he always falls off the roof. Uh, he you'll notice he doesn't fall when he falls off the roof. He doesn't disappear until uh, Scott reads the card and puts the puts the coat on. Then he disappears. In Santa Claus Three, he disappears instantly because there's already a Santa Claus. I love that. Like this <clears throat> is the. I don't know, the, the trying to apply temporal logic, <laughs> Star Trek temporal logic, but, to the Santa Claus. But it also <laughs> explains why Bernard is so irritated, because he's had to explain the exact <laughs> same thing to hundreds years. of Scott Calvins over the years. Yeah. And Scott Calvin, the Tim Mallon one, has finally hit the ultimate version. He is the best Santa Claus ever. They say that. Which is why they've never really had to get to the Mrs. Claus because he's not right. Yeah. And they fix it and they fix it and they fix it. So this is the first time that's in a the long time. That's absolutely the frustration you hear when he's, he he's gets like, the thing out. Is, Listen, read the fine print on the card. <laughs> Send the book. Read the book. Every time. <laughs> yeah. Why do I have to keep doing this? So whether it's true or not, it's a cute head cam. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not a fan of number three as much. I mean, I'll still I, watch uh, it. I enjoy it, but it's not my favorite. I really I like... I gotta say, in, in the work of Martin Short, that's it, it hits the bottom of my list of yeah, things that not, he does. He's It feels like they're trying too hard to make money on it. Up near the top now is the There's Only Murderers in the Building, because that's a fantastic oh, show. Oh, my gosh. And they're in the middle of shooting season two. Yes. I just and saw... I, I think we'll have to do a whole cast on, on that oh, yeah. show, and specifically now that season one's done. Yes, it's uh, fantastic. Because it was definitely a watch through as we were doing it. All right, so yeah. Santa Claus, that almost goes without saying. Of course. That we definitely need to do that. Now we get to the one that we're not And quite I even sure. wrote the question on the card because I wasn't sure. Nightmare, Nightmare Before, Before Christmas. Christmas. Is it a <laughs> Christmas film? No. Or is it a Halloween film? It is a Halloween film. And the reason I will say that with such utter confidence is because I'm always right. No, because <laughs> Tim Burton has been asked yeah. flat out. Is this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? And he says it's a Halloween movie. I, I feel like it's the one that falls perfectly when uh, I, I enjoy it most after Halloween. Like, not that I don't enjoy it coming up to Halloween. But I enjoy it most when Halloween is done. You're about a week, two weeks after, <clears throat> right? And you're starting to approach the American Thanksgiving area because, yeah. you know, for all the Americans out there, we're in Canada. We <clears throat> record in Canada, for those of you listening online. Uh, as you're approaching that that American Thanksgiving, that's the perfect time for me because it's about halfway between both. Right. And so it hits both perfectly. And there's not a lot that falls into Thanksgiving movies. And that's another uh, one <laughs> Which that is was, why we didn't do a podcast yeah. about Thanksgiving movies. That's another one that is on that movies that made us, the Christmas yeah. movies that made us our holiday, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was written and mostly dealt with by Danny Elfman, who is the musician, yeah. and his at the time wife or girlfriend, whatever it was, yeah. who was a scriptwriter. Yep. Yeah. And Tim Burton had <coughs> very little to do with the movie. Well, because Tim Burton was uh, filming Batman. He at was the time, at or the directing time. Batman. So he kind of let it go to the side, got check marks or X's on things he did and didn't like, but most of it was done by other people. Now, in fairness to Tim Burton, because <coughs> I know he takes a lot of slack for that. 
especially since this movies that made us special came out. Yeah. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. In defense of Tim Burton, this is something that happens a lot. Um, and he'll, he still had to hear and, and deal with all of the backslide from anything that was going wrong from executives, all that. He still had to deal with all that. Oh, absolutely. Right. So, you know, props to him for not just walking away from the project and saying, well, let somebody else deal with it. He did have a passion for seeing this thing done. Was it Tim Burton's vision? I think it was the vision of a group of people told through the visionary eyes of Tim Burton. Tim right? Burton it wrote still the, has that he wrote the original look, right? Yeah, and it's still got his <laughs> his signature on it, right? And and you can definitely see that in all of the media yeah. used and all that sort of stuff. But was it him physically sitting there directing? No, he wasn't in the chair. Yeah, he wasn't in the chair. Right? Now, is it an absolute classic? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you watch it at Christmas? Absolutely. You can watch it anytime. I heard or... somebody online talking about how. The Nightmare for Christmas was a total thing about cultural appropriation and how it's taking another person's culture and trying Gosh. to do it better than them. And I went, <laughs> no, it's not. It's a story about someone who is sad with their lot in life, sees somebody else who's got something cool, tries to do it, then realizes he should be happy with what he's got. It's a grass is always greener story exactly. that it turns around on itself. Yeah, And um, some amazing music by Elfman. Oh, and it's some very, of Elfman's best work. Some of his best work. And a lot of people don't know... Even though Chris, um, oh God, uh, Prince Humperdinck. Oh, uh, oh gosh. Christopher. Anyways. Uh, it's, He's going to talk while it's, I It's a name. The guy who played Chris Humperdinck is also the man who voiced Jack. But he's not the vocal voice of Jack. The singing part of Jack is done actually by Danny Elfman. Well, and Elfman was really kind of miffed that they didn't let him do the speaking part, too. Yes, he was going to, and, and they said no. Chris we, Sarandon. Chris Sarandon. I knew it was a, a legacy name. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so Chris Sarandon, who again, who has played Humperdinck yeah. uh, in The Princess Bride, and don't even go there. We'll get to that one another time. Yeah, that's, that's a whole one shot on its own. Exactly. Uh, and so he did the voice, but he didn't have the chops to sing it. So they asked Danny Elfman to sing it because he did it for the vocal track uh, or for the learning track for the songs, and it was perfect. So they said, we can't fix that. (laughs) And there was a track, when we were in Orlando, I want to say four years ago, we went to the Orlando Science Center, and they had a traveling display of the Nightmare Before Christmas, all the maquettes. Okay. And the faces of Jack. I'd love to see Um, that. It was really cool because each... They studied people's mouths and how they moved, and then they had a maquette for every part of a mouth movement, and then they would talk into a mirror and see which ones they'd have to use. It was fascinating. The the process is amazing. For anybody that thinks that claiming, I don't know anybody that legitimately thinks claymation is an easy thing uh stop motion animation especially with claymation is super super hard because whereas with normal animation you only have to think in terms of 24 frames a second how long does a movement last uh in claymation animation you have to think through blank transition as well right and what the eye perceives which is why in bad animation using stop motion you can always see the inconsistency in the skip uh 
in good claymation animation such as Nightmare and Corpse Bride and any of Tim Burton's work, it's so clean because it's mathematical, yeah. but it's artistic, right? And and to see those two work <clears throat> in balance together is just, it's it's nothing short of a mir- miraculous art form. Uh, I. <laughs> I used to mess around and do as any kid does, and more kids probably do now because you know cameras and phones and and all that fun stuff. Um, with the Lego men trying to do the yep. stop motion Lego men, and not understanding when you're ten or twelve years old how stop motion works and how the eye sees twenty four frames a second, and and doing the math of it, it's just frustrating. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a procedure. Uh, <laughs> so. So I'll yeah, have to so take a swing at that again. Sometime. Nightmare Before Christmas, there's no question. It's a it's a Halloween and a Christmas. You can watch it either time. It's still a wonderful you movie. Do you. It's just a great movie. And I think we're going to round this off, this episode anyways, with uh, probably the quintessential Christmas movie. This one to me is one that, and, and it comes around, you know, with Thanksgiving or with Halloween and Christmas. Those are the two, there's two Charlie Brown movies you have to watch every year. And those are my family moments with my kids. They love Charlie Brown. And I'm about to ruin it for him. <laughs> and is. it's going to make me so happy. Oh, you're the worst. I am. Um, but yeah, we always watch, There's a, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and Merry Christmas, Charlie, or Charlie Brown Christmas, yes. or it's Christmas, Charlie Do you Brown. know why <clears throat> the Charlie Brown Christmas, epi- the Christmas movie exists? Oh, gosh. No, why? (laughs) It was the brainchild of an executive at Coca-Cola. Yeah. And Christian's a Pepsi guy. I'm a Coke guy. So this is going to hurt his soul. Have you ever watched it? And at the very end, you realize there's such a strange cut. It just kind of stops mid-song. It just kind of not really paid that when much you attention watch it this okay. year, you'll see it. It just kind of goes and cuts off. Okay. Because, and there's a couple other weird cuts in the movie. Because originally, at the end, the song continues and it goes to outside a snowbank. And in the snowbank in magic letters, it writes, Merry Christmas from your local Coca Cola bottlers. <laughs> and in the thing, I think uh, Charlie Brown drinks a Coke. <clears throat> And there's a couple other product placements. Coke paid for this to be made by Schultz. Okay. He had no intention of ever doing animation. Okay. And they requested it and paid him to do it. And they had naming rights for 10 or 15 years to have it. Because they paid for it, they could have that in there. Yeah. However, when the naming rights were up... They didn't want to pay again to keep it in there, so they couldn't have it in there anymore, so they had to lop it out. So that's why there's such a weird cut at the bottom. At the end of the movie, it just kind of stops in the middle of things. It's off. It's strange cut. And that's because they didn't want to reanimate things again, so they just cut it. It doesn't ruin it for me. <laughs> Damn. I have, I, I have my things with Coca-Cola, but it's no secret that Coca-Cola is all mixed up in Christmas. Oh, there's no. <laughs> that's, it, uh, there's, also, there's been the rumor for years that the only reason Santa Claus wears red and white is because they were the corporate colors of Coca-Cola. Now, is it true? Is it not true? I've heard arguments for both. Uh, I honestly don't know. 
It but, is true. But Coca-Cola and Santa have had a very long I, I can kind of put this to bed because the modern known <laughs> image of Santa Claus, uh, as we understand him in the red and white, is a Coca-Cola thing. They came up with him drinking the Coke, and that was just like the Charlie Brown thing. It was a sales pitch for them. You know, we are Santa Claus. Because there was this whole thing of every culture, there was a lot of cultures that had this... Santa Claus, Santa Claus, you know, Father yeah, Christmas. There was, there was some sort of Christmas man giving gifts thing. Uh, it and, all stems you know, from, of course, Saint Nicholas. <clears throat> of course, <clears throat> um, and er, a lot of cultures had their different takes on it. And so Coca Cola saw this kind of emerging through all these gathering cultures in America, and said, "You know what? We're going to." put a stamp on it and make it ours and capitalize on it. And it very much was what they did. And, you know, honestly, I can't fault them. There's no shame in their game. They did their job. They did their job and it worked. It's been around forever. And actually, here's something you may not know. For a long time in the United States, Christmas was illegal. Absolutely illegal. You would get charged um, because it was the Puritans who came and they stopped it. And it was too frivolity, too much stuff, and they didn't like that. So they said, we don't do Christmas. However, when they had to open up to immigrants to get the country growing, each immigrant family from all these different places had their own Christmas traditions. Okay. And they eventually outweighed the Puritans who didn't want any of that stuff. And so it kind of had to become a part of it. And so you're, you're talking <clears throat> like early, early 1700s. Well, mid okay, yeah, mid seventeen to to late seventeen hundreds, yeah. and then in the eighteen early eighteen hundreds, you'd see a lot of that transition happening. It came it came with full force because <clears throat> uh, during the Victorian time, that's where we get most of our Christmas tech, uh, traditions is from Victorian yep. England, um, and that could be a quick podcast on and on uh, itself. Sure we might could. talk about that tomorrow. Maybe we'll hit that a bit. I gotta I gotta do a little bit more work. On that one before well, we'll get some we'll get some research going tonight, and yeah. we'll do it for tomorrow's podcast. But uh, the point being, Coca Cola has made the modern Santa Claus and the modern feeling of Christmas uh, big and bolder than ever. And it starts not starts, but a big portion of that came in with the Charlie Brown Christmas yeah. special, and that got everybody going. And that's one that you will always watch. Every Christmas, you have to see. If you don't see it, you're kind of sad. You see the Christmas tree with the one thing yeah. pulling it over, and they're like, "Oh my God, Charlie Brown Christmas tree! It's so cute." <laughs> I mean, it's it's quintessential for me. It's it's <clears throat> something that, like I said, especially with my kids, they've come to love a lot of the weird, nerdy old stuff that I enjoy, while still really enjoying their new stuff, right? Um, but being able to sit back and watch something as classic as Charlie Brown. And have them be right into it, not just not just pacifying dad. Is all right, we'll watch the thing, yeah. and dad wants to watch it, right? Uh, it's they're they're right into it. They love it, right? I mean, and it stands to reason too, because I could see that from the get go. One of my daughter's favorite Mr. Bean episodes is the Christmas episode because right. he gets a turkey stuck on his head, and that that to me, as much as it's not a movie, hits this list. It has to be watched every year. <laughs> Well, there's a lot on this list that we missed. We've got the major ones that we could think of. But if you've got ones that we missed, please come in, tell Cameron. Put it in a message on the Facebook page. Send us a comment. Please send us a comment on the Facebook page so we know people are out there listening. <laughs> we um, want to hear from you. We mean that. 
Yeah. Sincerely. We really do, because, <laughs> you, you know... Because otherwise we just have to hear from each other, and, I mean, that's going to get old quick. It's already getting tiring, <laughs> let's be honest. <clears throat> so we're going to wrap this up, and we'll be back... Uh, in a little bit, probably for a couple of one shots for those of you who are here. So for Christian, I'm Marcus. For Marcus, I'm Christian. And we'll see you at, at the, the counter. counter. Oh, and I will gonna leave this off by one little thing from the Charlie Brown Christmas we're special. Close out, and you're still on. A I'm tangent. gonna keep going. <laughs> we're gonna go from the, just as as Charlie Brown's mother once said. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs>